We had a great graduation. Our academy uh, finished up the school year last week, and then we had a graduations, uh, graduation Friday night, and just a, a great blessing. I love our school. Um, I love our staff. Man, they are uh, our valedictorian, uh, Haleen Song. She said it well. She came here, and she didn't realize everything that our teachers did and our administrators did. They're just kind of uh, master multitaskers, and so uh, so thankful for, for them. And um, I, I want to put it out there. I know we've, we've had different um, forms of communication as far as, um, you know, emails going out. And we've had it in our announcements and stuff. But uh, if you are interested at all in investing in the lives of this next generation uh, in a full-time capacity, uh, then I would love to uh, ask you to talk to Miss Kelly or Miss Ashley, uh, Kelly McDowell or Ashley Holt, and uh, they can give you information on what that looks like to serve uh, the Lord in, in that ministry. Uh, it is not going to make you rich on this earth, <laughs> uh, but it'll definitely uh, add some heavenly rewards. If that's an opportunity uh, that maybe you have, then again, we would love to, to have that uh, talk with you and, and share with you what it looks like and what it may be. Uh, another ministry that is an investment in our young people is our student ministry. And I'm so, so thankful for uh, our leaders there as well, Brother Jeffrey and Miss Ashley and our student ministry. And uh, they have served uh, our church and that ministry uh, with passion and with excellence. And they've had uh, leaders kind of come and go. And uh, they're at a season now where they're kind of whittled down with youth leaders. And so uh, maybe if, if something is on your heart to invest in the next generation like that, they could uh, definitely use some people who have a passion and are committed to being examples for this next generation and, and being willing to, uh, to lead and, and to invest in them like that. So if you're interested in working with our teens as well, you can see Brother Jeffrey about that. And I know they would welcome the help. Uh, they're getting ready and gearing up for a lot of stuff going on this summer, and it's going to be exciting for uh, both our kids and our, and our teens. But uh, again, just great ministries there, great opportunities to serve God and, and invest in this next generation. And uh, so vital because the days we're living in, we need some, we need some leaders that are going to be raised up, uh, not only in, in godly homes, but in, in, in a ministry uh, that is showing them what it looks like to serve the Lord in a local church. And I'm so thankful Brother Jeffrey not only models that, but he gives our young people that opportunity in this church as well. So. Um, last week we were in uh, this chapter, Acts chapter 20, and we only got one point, and so that's point one last week was sound doctrine is profitable and not simple ear tickling. We live in a day uh, where truth to many people is not truth, and it's, for a lot of people, it's not about truth at all. It's, it's about their truth, their version of the truth, and um, man, I, I uh, it, it's hard to deal with because so many people are driven by their emotions. They're not driven by truth. And, and again, when I say that, I, I'm even talking about people who are in the church, people who are professing Christians. They make decisions. They, they, they live their life. They have a perspective on life based on their emotions. And, and not just that, there's a lot of people that um, think that man is the answer. We would call that humanism. What I want, what I don't want, what I like, what I don't like, man, me, center, it, 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 source. This is what it's all about. And many people make their spiritual decisions from that place. Again, sadly, Christians do as well. I'm upset about this, and so I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to, you know, or I'm excited about this, so I'm going to sing loud. 
So maybe when they don't hear a message, or they hear a message they don't like to hear, they can dismiss it. Or maybe they leave in search of a place they can hear that what pleases them and not what pleases God. But in our study, Paul himself was moving forward, and he knew what lied ahead for him, the Bible says. He knew what was lying in wait for him. It wasn't a cush life of ministry. It wasn't, a, it wasn't something where he was going to kind of go and, and finish out the days of his ministry in, in ease. He knew that what lied ahead of, of him was more suffering and more sacrifice for the king, more laboring. In the last season of his life, last season of ministry, it meant he was going to be laboring in the face of great adversity. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we saw this. It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know that from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and preached it to you and taught you both publicly and privately from house to house, testifying both to Jews and also to Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that are going to happen to me, not knowing the specific things that's going to happen to me, except this, that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. If you were here last week, we talked about this. Paul didn't know exactly what was going to, uh, to, to, to meet him in Jerusalem. He didn't know exactly what kind of persecution or adversity or trials. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. The only thing he did know is that he was going to, based on the testimony of the Holy Spirit, based on what he had already experienced, he did know that when he got to Jerusalem, he was going to face probably chains, imprisonment, and tribulation. Again, he had gone from city to city all through Asia Minor. He had, he had visited those places, like he said, preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles. And what he had experienced in every single city was persecution, chains, and tribulation, he said. The Holy Spirit led him to these places, and then he experienced that. Again, we think about living our Christian life in this day and time. I want to challenge you. Don't make your spiritual decisions, don't make your life decisions based on an emotional feeling or even based on your circumstances. Man, we can make a really, really big mess of things when we start making spiritual decisions from emotional places. We can make a really big mess of things when we start making our, our life decisions, our spiritual decisions from a place of, of our circumstances dictating what we should be doing. That, that's not at all how we see the, this, this first church operating. And specifically our example here is the Apostle Paul. He knew the circumstances of his life were not going to be favorable in man's eyes. He knew that he possibly, possibly could even lose his life there at Jerusalem. He didn't know. What he did know, though, is that he had to go forward in faith and do what God had called him to do, regardless of his feelings, regardless of his circumstances, regardless of his friends, regardless of anything. He had to move forward in faith and obedience to the call that God had put on his life. Because he said that in verse 24. He said, I know that what lies ahead of me is probably chains and more tribulation. Verse 24, though, he says this, but none of these things move me. None of them shake me. None of them are going to change the course of my life. None of them are going to change the call that, that I have on my life. None, circumstances, emotions, my feeling, my thoughts, my will, they don't change anything of what God's called me to do. And the same is true for us today. 
It, nothing changes what God has called us to do and called us to be. It remains the same. And then he gives us a little insight into where his heart was and where his mind was, which I love this. Man, I, lo I love the Apostle Paul. I, again, I've shared this before. I've ta taught in, in, in our Bible Institute that we had for several, several years. And um, for 10 years, I, I taught the epistles of Paul. And so year after year, semester after semester, I was teaching through the, the different letters that he wrote to the churches. And, and all those letters, were, we would usually point back to Acts where, where we would see what happened in that city and why he would ride and we would get the history and all that kind of stuff. And, and through the years, I, I, I've just grown a, a, a deep affection for the Apostle Paul and his mindset. I, I love uh, maybe just the way that he was wired a little bit that we can grab hold of and, and, and the way that, that maybe I'm wired a little bit. And, 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 and I'm like, I, I love that. I love the fact that he's like, you know what? We've got a job to do. It doesn't matter what happens around us. It doesn't matter how I feel. Like, we've got to do this regardless, and we need to do this together. He said, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not moved by anything that lies ahead of me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. I realize that, that I died and Christ came alive, that, 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 that for me to live is Christ. And I don't count myself dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. Don't you want to do that too? I don't know about you, but I want to do that. I, I, want, to, I want to cross the finish line of this life and have joy. I, I, want, to, I want to feel like that, that moment that I step from, from the temporal realm into the eternal realm, that, that I have peace and joy knowing that I gave it all for the king. Because at that moment, you can't take it back. At that moment, we can't go back and change anything. Right now, we can make the determination that we're going to move forward in faith and we're going to serve the Lord with passion. We're going to give him our all that when we do cross the line, we can finish the race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Again, this was his farewell letter, his farewell address to those Ephesian elders who were going to go back to a very carnal, very secular, very sinful, very pagan-driven society that they were supposed to be pastoring in. So you're not going to see me anymore on this side of heaven, probably. Therefore, I, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have not shunned to declare you to the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock of God, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, even from among leaders and pastors and, 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 and church members. Men will rise up, speaking perverse things in effort to draw away disciples after their own selves. And we know that that happened there in that, in that, that culture, in that city. But it's happening today, right? You have a lot of people that are driven by gaining disciples, followers of their own, and not trying to point people to Jesus Christ. Lots of cities are full of, of churches like that. So his charge to them was this, therefore watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you every night and day with tears. Everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among the, all those who are sanctified. 
I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands, he said, have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. Paul uh, was a tent maker on the side, and he would make tents, and, and many times he wouldn't take money uh, from the different places that he went from the churches because there were people already attacking him when he went from place to place, saying that he was doing it for, for gain. He was doing it so that people would follow him. And so Paul said, you know what? I'm just going to dismiss my, I'm going to, I'm going to disengage myself from any of that. That way no one can accuse me of doing it for that reason. He said, so my, with my own hands, I provided my own necessities and, and the ministry team that was with, with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And look what happens in verse 37. Then they all wept freely. They just lost themselves. And as he was kneeling there praying with them, they all fell on his neck and they began to kiss him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke when he was telling them that he, they would not see his face anymore. And they accompanied him to the ship. You know, along the way, we've, we've seen... Um, like I've said before, recurring themes. We've, we've seen a little bit of this already, this support of uh, leaders and, and, and being an encouragement to them. Point number one is this, though suffering and sacrifice must not be shrunk away from. This is what we saw last week. Paul, Paul had the encouragement of that team with him, those elders that came along. He, he had most of all this, this call and this passion to fulfill what Jesus had given him to do. And so he said, you know what? None of these things move me. I'm not going to shrink back. I didn't shrink back from, from declaring to you what you needed, and I'm not shrinking away from what lies ahead of me. Acts chapter 20, 20, uh, 22 says this, and now I go bound to the Spirit to Jerusalem, he said, not knowing the things that will happen to me except that the Holy Spirit testifies. Again, saying in every city, chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me. Paul was saying none of the sufferings, none of the sacrifice, nothing that I have, have done or have given up or none of the things that lie ahead that I'll have to give up or sacrifice or suffer for the name of Christ sways me in any way. It doesn't move me. It doesn't cause me to shrink back. It doesn't cause me to, 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 to reevaluate. Now, should I be living my life like, should I be this passionate? I mean, people are going to mock me and say, you should be living your life a little bit more. Enjoy this life, Paul. Enjoy this world, Paul. Hey, you know, if, 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 I, if I don't pull back a little bit, then people may call me a radical. And I think Paul had all those things, and he was already being called that. And he said, none of these things change my direction. None of these change my, 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 uh, the, the, the aim that I have, and that is to, to see Jesus Christ face to face. He said it like this. I mentioned it a while ago in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. Why none of these things move me? Why, I'm not, why I don't shrink back from what I've been called to do and what lies ahead of me? Why I don't care being called a radical? Why I don't care people ridiculing me and say, hey, you should live life a little bit, Paul. You should kind of branch out a little bit from your, your radical gospel ministry that you're, you're living in. You should, you should enjoy, you know, have, have some fun with your friends and family. Do those things in the world that you might not ever get a chance to do. And you know what Paul thought? I believe to all that based on what he did and based on his writings. You know what I think Paul thought? Why? Why would I spend my life wasting time 
for this temporal world. When I have an eternal mission where, where I can store up eternal treasure, that when I cross that finish line with joy, I'll have these rewards that will last forever. And guess what? None of the amazing memories that I formed on the earth will go with me. Oh, don't you want to do this? Don't you want to do this? Paul said, look, I've been crucified with Christ. I gave up all the rights, desires, everything, focus. I gave up everything when I gave my life to Christ. And so it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this fleshly body, I live by faith in the Son of Man who loved me and gave himself up for me. See how personal Paul said that? See, see how personal it was for him? He said, look, I... I I'm no longer about me. I'm no longer about living for me or this world or for anything like that. I'm living for Jesus Christ who gave up his life for me. I'm living for eternity. We see this great example before us. The Apostle Paul, I, I believe, is a great example. No matter what lies ahead, no matter what it costs me, Jesus is worth giving all for. No matter what I have to face, Jesus is worth laboring all for, for his kingdom. Not this world's, and not this little kingdom that we try to build for ourselves. Him and his kingdom. And he is the greatest example. Jesus is. Paul was a great example. Stephen, we talked about recently, was a great example. But Jesus was the perfect example. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answered, and they just said to him, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, and other people think that you're Elijah. Others think that you're still, you know, you're, you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's what people are saying. And Jesus asked his followers right there with him, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, of course, the first one to speak. He's always putting his, <laughs> putting his mouth. But he answered good. He said, you are the Christ. You're the anointed one sent from God. You're the Messiah. That's what he said. You're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. No one in the world told you who I was. No, no one, uh, even in this inner circle, had to reveal this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, revealed it to you. And I also say that you are Peter. You're a small stone. And upon this rock, this large stone, Jesus, I will build my, my church. And the gates of Hades, hell, hell will not overpower it. And listen to what he says. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. He was talking about the authority that the church, that he, once he left, the authority that he would impart to the church. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And then be raised up on the third day. He began to tell them like every, all the time, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer a lot. 
There's going to be a lot of ugly things that you probably see me go through. I'm going to eventually be killed, and then on the third day I'll rise again. It says that he began to tell them from that time forward. But look what Peter does. Once again, sticking his foot in his mouth. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> he began to rebuke God, right? Have you, ever been to, have you ever been to that place where you rebuke God? Peter begins to rebuke him and say, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You're not, we're not going to let you get beaten. We will never let you be taken and killed. That's not going to happen. We would die first. But he turned to, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. If you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. See, Peter couldn't see beyond what Jesus, uh, Jesus' whole purpose was come to be the, the sacrifice. If Peter had looked in the Old Testament and seen that God was sending the Messiah to be that ultimate sacrifice for mankind, Peter would have said, let it be so, whatever God's will is. But Peter, being a man, and in this moment acting in emotion, he said, no, it's, you're not going to do that. And Jesus said, look, this is Satan trying to use this situation. Get behind me. You're not setting your mind on God's interest. You're, you're thinking like a man. When Jesus turned to the disciples, and he says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, which means suffering and shame, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life, hold on to his life and live it, build their own little kingdom, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. See, the suffering and the sacrifice lie before him the entire time. The suffering and sacrifice for our sins. And then the, the weight of the wrath was before him, there in the garden, in, in, a, in a real body like ours. Like it, it had nerves, and, and, and he knew what he designed it. He, he knew what the pain was going to be before he ever experienced it. He, he knew how, how those, that, that cat of nine tails would feel across his back. He knew what it would feel like to have every nerve pierced and severed and, and through his wrist and his feet. He, he knew what that pain would feel like, but in that earthly body, he was there in the garden under the weight of not only knowing what that pain was going to be like in a body that he designed with a nervous system that you and I still have today that we know what to avoid because of pain, right? Something gets hot, whoa, whoa, whoa. our nervous system says, whoa, whoa, back off of that. Something sharp points, cuts us, with, ah, got to... He knew what it was going to be, and, and he ran to it. He was there in the garden, knowing the nervous system, designed it with his own uh, 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 amazing cre creation. And there he was under the weight of not only the, the, the physical pain that he was about to endure, but the wrath of God, Almighty God, the power of Almighty God, the wrath of all of mankind's sin for all of time pressing down on him. John chapter 10, verse 18, no one has taken it away from me. He's talking about his life. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, 
and I have the authority to take it up again. This is the commandment I received from my father. There he was again in the garden with the power to circumvent the situation. He he could call on uh, 10,000 angels. But for love's sake, for love's sake, and for the commitment to the will of the father, he said this in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. sacrifice, surrender. We see this great example in the Apostle Paul. We see the greatest example, of course, in Jesus Christ. Suffering and sacrifice must not be shrunk away from. I want to encourage you, church, this morning, man. Let's stop living for our own kingdom. Let's stop trying to make a life that's so comfortable for ourselves here that we forget that we should be storing up treasure in heaven. Let's not forget what our Lord went through so that we could have life. He was thinking about us the whole time. He'd been thinking about us from, from the moment before ever, time ever existed, but from the moment that, that sin entered into the bloodstream of mankind in the garden, he, I believe he saw us beyond the cross, and he was willing to, to go through all of that. For us, and so for Paul to say, for me to live huh, is Christ. And boy, to die would be gain. It's, about, it's not about our kingdom. We try to make it about our kingdom. We try to, man, the devil is so crafty and tricky. He gets us pulled into this world's kingdom. And man, we start living for this world's kingdom. We start thinking, man, this is what it's about. If I could just get this, if we could just go there, if we could just do this, if we could just have all of this, then man, our life would be awesome. And we have some these examples like this that are running towards suffering and sacrifice. We have these that are not looking for a comfortable, cush life, but they're looking to fulfill the will of God. Well, what's missing? What's missing with, with our American mindset and heart set that, that we're not as, as passionate as them? Just because they're the first church doesn't mean that they were more spiritual or should be more spiritual. We've had 2,000 years of example. We have had 2,000 years of the church growing and strength and discipleship to go on. This church right here should be stronger, I believe, than the first church. But why are we so, why are we so just infatuated? All of us, why are we so infatuated with this world? It's, it's passing away. Everything. Think about how things wear out. It's all wearing out. Why are we living for it then? We have a king and a kingdom that's eternal that we should be living for every day, willing to suffer and to sacrifice everything for. That's why Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, redeeming the time. Buy it up, use it up for the kingdom because it's, it's fleeting. Time is fleeting. You're not going to have a whole lot, a lot longer to do the things that you can only do for the king now. But as we saw there in our text back in Acts chapter 20, Paul kneeled down on the ground there to pray for those, those elders. You can kind of imagine he, he kind of kneels down, maybe he's hands and, hands and knees, and they kind of kneel around him, and, and they're kind of just all having like a little prayer session there. And Paul's praying for them and uh, praying for their faith and praying for their churches and praying for their city and, and praying for the church and, and, and all those things. The Bible says that they, they get really emotional, right? They, they, they start crying 
uncontrollably. It says freely. They, they begin to weep and, and they begin to hug him and, and, and kiss him, that, 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 that godly kiss. They begin to do that. And then when the prayer is over, they get up and they, they walk into the ship. Knowing it's probably the last time they're going to see him on this, time of, this side of heaven. And it, Scripture doesn't tell us. We, we get a little bit of insight into uh, Paul's affection toward the Ephesian church in his letter to the, the Ephesians. I encourage you to read the book of Ephesians, especially after we're kind of talking about this, and, and see some of the charges that he gave to them. Go into Revelation and, and read later on where the church was uh, when John was given the revelation from Jesus Christ on what the church of Ephesus looked like at that point in time. But one thing that Paul had, again, we, we've seen. We've seen people leave his, his ministry team. We've seen people betray him. Uh, we've seen people come and go. We've seen people with him in prison. We've seen other leaders supporting leaders. And I want to say this point number two is very clear in, in, in that last few verses is this. Sincere support of leaders is essential, is God's essential way forward. Paul had the love and the support of these other leaders. And they had his support. They were supporting each other. Paul called for them and they came when, when he needed them. They were reliable. Acts chapter 20, verse 36, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. They began to weep aloud, loudly. I mean, they were, they were just like tears. They were, they were weeping. They embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they were accompanying him to the ship. That was vital. We've seen this for thousands of years, though. The support of leaders, right? If you're a leader at your job, and you have other leaders at your job with you, it, it's vital that the leadership team feels supported, doesn't it? it it's, it's important that you feel. Think about even your home. If you're married, husband and wife, you got kids, how important is it that a husband and wife feel each other's support, right? When the kid comes, hey, can I do this? Hey, can we do this? Hey, can we do this? What about when, when, when life decisions happen in the home? For the husband and wife to be together, to have each other's support is essential. It's just God's design. We, but again, we've seen this for thousands of years. The Bible tells us that David, King David, with all his flaws, he had a great heart for God, a man after God's own heart, the apple of God's eye, many things about David. But the Bible says that David had what is called mighty men, around 30, 30 guys, so in some places 37, 30. Uh, either way, these mighty men of David had considerable military skill. They were absolutely talented men, skilled men, and they were a blessing of God for David. His, his mighty men served an important role in protecting the king and also fighting for the freedom of their nation, the land of Israel. And in his life, David had a best friend, Jonathan. Jonathan, ironically, was Saul the man, the, the, the king who was pursuing David's life, it was his son, one of his sons. As I said last week, there are some recurring themes in this first church, said it again this morning. And we see this theme about being a friend, about being a sincere friend. We see the necessity of supporting the leaders that God has set up. Man, if you work in the children's ministry, you should be encouraging the children's ministry directors. Man, if your kids are in the, hey, if you got teenagers and they're in the, in the teen ministry, you should be encouraging your youth pastor and his wife. 
You should be trying to do everything you can to encourage them. Because you know what they're doing in this church, in this ministry? All they're trying to do is come along you, who should be raising your kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They're just trying to come alongside you and help your kids stay on that trajectory to pleasing the Father. That's what their goal is. They're not, they're not, their, their desire is not to be cool or to be liked by the teens. What they want to do is to help you disciple and equip your kids to have an eternal perspective, to have a, a biblical perspective in this world. And as ungodly and as sick and as sinful as this world, the more sick and sinful it becomes, the more necessary it is that your kids are in your home being discipled by you and then coming to a place like this with a youth pastor and a wife like this that say, you know what, we want to make sure and keep you on the right direction, <laughs> keep you going to, to Christ. To, to, to living for him and for his kingdom so that when you graduate and you become an adult, you don't graduate from the church and graduate from your faith. But man, you start thriving as an adult in the kingdom of God. Your youth leaders and your children's ministry leaders need your support, your elders, your deacons. Man, you, you, should, be, you should be encouraging and supporting. It's so necessary. And by doing this and being this, we not only... Own, honor God because it's his church. He's the one that sets the leaders up. But we help the mission be fruitful. How do you think Paul would have left that, got on that ship and went back to Jerusalem knowing that he, he possibly could die? How do you think he would have felt not knowing if those, those elders that were going back to Ephesus were really friends, really on his, on his side? really going to be praying for him, that God would give him the strength in the midst of the trial, and that maybe if he was martyred for the cause of Christ, that they would, they would be praying for him, that he would have the faith and the strength to continue on. If you've ever been on a sports team with someone's heart who isn't in it, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'll tell you this, I've been on a couple sports teams before with some guys that their hearts weren't in it, and I've, I've had some teammates in the past that they were all about themselves. They, they wanted to be this stud or whatever. We've also been on some teams where some guys did nothing but criticize the coach behind his back and the other players too. And yeah, I, I've said things to them too. Not ugly. I just told them, be quiet. Something like that. But if you've experienced that, you know what the feeling is. When you're pouring yourself in day in and day out and sweat, blood, sweat, and tears, and, and you got the majority of the team who has this common goal of wanting to win and even win, win it all, win the championship. And you got this one or two or three people on the team who obviously are not on board. You want that player, first of all, to get right and start helping the team and not hold the team back. Or you want them to leave. I shared this illustration before, but my favorite non-Christian movie is Remember the Titans. And I've shared it in our leadership conferences in the, in the past and, um, and even in messages. But if you know the movie, uh, then you know there's a character. Well, he was, he was a real person. His name is Gary. And he was one of the captains on the team. He had a best friend before all of the integration started happening there. And the best friend's name was Ray. And he had the responsibility as a team captain to kick off his best friend 
off the team because of a stinky attitude, because of Ray's lack of commitment, because of Ray's disregard of the leadership and the coaches. And this was a pivotal point for the team. It showed the detriment to the team that a lack of sincere support and service can be. And so I just want to show this clip real quick. If you've never seen the movie, this is what happens. If you have, you know. If you've seen the movie, you know what happens, uh, or you know what happened up to that point. Gary did not want Coach Boone to be the coach. They had their coach, they had their team, they had their thing going on. Um, but there he was standing there with that coach who he had now grown to love and support. And he told him, I want my best friend off the team because the commitment that he had for that leader and for that team and for that team's goal. We also know about Moses, and I'm almost done, this last illustration, the Amalekites had attacked Israel on their way to the promised land. Moses stood on the hill overlooking the battle, and Moses had his staff in his hand. And he raised his arms in a position of prayer, according to Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. And as long as Moses' arms were raised, the Israelites prevailed against the Malachites. But as soon as his, his hands were lowered, the Malachites began to overtake the Israelites. So if you know that story, Moses' arms, of course, grew tired. So they got a stone, and they sat, set a stone underneath him so he could sit down. And two men, Aaron and Hur, stood beside him to hold his arms up. And because of their support, Moses' hands, according to Exodus 17, 12, and 13, remained steady until the sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. We know that Jesus had 12 disciples. One promised to die for him, but denied him. One rested on his chest at the Last Supper, but he hid away and watched him as he was taken to this illegal trial. And of course, one was a traitor who sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. He too had three, Peter, James, and John in his inner circle. He asked them to go a little bit further with him in the garden before his betrayal. He asked for their support and prayer, and you know what they did? They fell asleep. Example after example, we see the necessity and the fulfillment in the first church of this unity and this sincere bond, this friendship and support of the leaders of the church. And together they saw they were family. Again, they weren't just best friends, buddy-buddy with each other. They were family. There was this sincere love and support that set the church up for fruitful ministry. And I urge you this morning once again to sincerely support the leaders of this church. Your children's ministry leaders, your youth leaders, your, your, your elders and, and, and deacons and, and people in, in, in leadership, they don't need your criticism. The, the, the church doesn't need to be criticizing each other. The, the, the church doesn't need uh, your, your, your absence. It needs your presence and your engagement and your commitment to, to, to the Lord, the leader of this, t the, of this church, Jesus Christ, and, and to the leaders that he has set in place so that we can see the fruitfulness come on. Hebrews chapter 13 is last verse, and we're done, I'm sorry. Verse 7, remember those who led you, who spoke to you the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, conduct imitate their faith. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing. 
Do not be carried away with varied and strange teachings, for it's good that the heart be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who so occupied were not benefited. But we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin, they're burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go, out, go, go to him outside the camp bearing his reproach because we don't have a lasting city here. This world is not our home, but we're seeking the city which is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifice God's, God is pleased. And obey your leaders, submit to them, for they watch over your souls as those who will give an account one day. But let them do this with joy and not with grief because this would be unprofitable for you. This morning, do you only do what you feel that you can do safely without cost of time or cost of abilities or even your money? This morning, are you truly devoted to your king and his kingdom? Or are you more devoted to your kingdom or this world's kingdom? Are you sincerely supporting and serving with the leaders that he has set up in this church? I want to challenge you this morning. Don't be the ray in this church. Be a Gary. Let's take these examples in Scripture and be even more devoted. The reward is real and it's lying ahead. Let's be who God's called us to be. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the, the word that we have. Thank you for the example we have. We see, once again, a great example in this first church. The Apostle Paul, knowing that possibly death was lying ahead of him, and we see the church, we see those elders supporting each other and, and, and having support from Paul, and Paul supporting them. And we see this boldness of faith. We see this amazing fruitfulness and ministry produced from this. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just ignore it like some an, another Bible story, but that it would be applied in our lives. We'd realize how important it is to live for you, for your kingdom alone. For all we know, every single one of us in this place today could be our last day on this earth. It would be the last opportunity that we could glorify you, the last opportunity that we could store up treasure in heaven. And we don't live like that. Help us, God. I pray you just move now in this invitation and uh, may you be glorified in our response. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to invite you to come.